Welcome to Spiritual Naturalism Today, a conversation on science, nature, and spirituality. Our program is sponsored by the Spiritual Naturalist Society with host Daniel Strain. Hi, my name is Daniel Strain. Welcome to our program. I'm here with co-hosts B.T. Newberg and Jay Forrest. Thank you guys for joining us. Thank you, um, this is the first episode of Spiritual Naturalism Today, a new podcast, and it is uh, sponsored by the Spiritual Naturalist Society. Um, of course, you can learn more about our organization, but uh, we're going to go ahead and dive into our topic for today, um, which should be a pretty good introductory topic for our first episode. It is, what does spiritual naturalism mean to you? And uh, we all going to have our own ideas about that. There's uh, many different traditions from which spiritual naturalists come. Uh, but I think what we'll do is we'll just sort of go around the table and uh, we're, we're going to give our thoughts. And uh, we are also going to be welcoming of your comments on this podcast. Uh, so please do submit them. Why don't I start with you, BT? Uh, what yeah, does okay. spiritual naturalism mean to you? Yeah, sure. Okay, well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on the show, Daniel. Uh, so, I guess the way that I like to put it, just as of what I call a back pocket definition, meaning just like if some Joe Blow on the street is going to ask me what it is, I would say spiritual nationalism is uh, for people who don't believe in anything supernatural but still may find something uh, meaningful and worthwhile in traditionally religious practices like meditation and ritual, and who may feel a sort of religion-like awe and wonder in the face of the cosmos, life, existence, and so on, and and so are still interested in that aspect of what we tend to call spirituality. So that that's what I would start off with as a back pocket definition. Yeah, that seems pretty uh, pretty close to what I would say. Um... What about you, Jay? When I think about uh, naturalism, uh, I guess is the, the foundation of it, is when I was 19, I became a born-again Christian and got into Christianity, got into religion, and basically endorsed supernaturalism. And for me, I compare the two between the supernaturalism and the naturalism. Supernaturalism saying that there's two worlds, one which you can't see and have no evidence of, and then this physical world. And for me, naturalism says that it is, you know, every question we've asked, nature has given us back an answer from nature. And so that gives you the, the foundation of naturalism. This is the world we're in. We need to take care of it. We need to treat it as sacred. And that part of sacred, I believe, is where the spiritual naturalism or religious naturalism comes in, where we're all in this together. And if we do not treat nature uh, sacredly, then we are going to uh, lose it. And unfortunately, that's what we're in the process of doing environmental damage and uh, things of this nature. So spiritual naturalism, I believe, brings the best admirations and aspirations of humankind into uh, a naturalistic viewpoint of the world. Yeah, it's well said. Um, I like that you bring up a sense of the sacred because that to me is an important part of spiritual naturalism. It, I've noticed it's very easy for, for us to sometimes 
veer so much into the academic and the intellectual that we, um, even when we set out to do it, and we, we call it spiritual naturalism, and we, uh, we talk about awe and wonder, that we often just end up talking about it rather than doing it or rather than practicing it. And um, to me, an important part of spiritual naturalism is that we're not just people who are looking to um, analyze spirituality from a uh, from an academic perspective, you know, or, or we're not just analyzing it anthropologically or talking about it anthropologically, but that we're actually practitioners trying to engage in a spirituality that's based on a naturalistic understanding of the world. And I think that's the yin-yang. We've got the, the intellectual in the naturalism, the philosophical groundings, but then we have to have the spiritual. And the reason I like spiritual better than religious is it has the connotation of not being about doctrines, not being about beliefs, but being about experiences, being about practice, being about how do you live differently? How do you experience reality differently? How do you connect with nature? Yeah, I totally agree, Jay. And I think that is something that really distinguishes us from other organizations and communities that are focused on um, you know, atheism, agnosticism, secularism, and so on, is uh, our emphasis especially on practice, as, as Daniel is also saying. And I think it's also important at this point to add in um, for our listeners that spiritual naturalism, even though we're kind of defining it as a thing that sounds like it's its own different path apart from everything else, it's actually much bigger than that. It's a big tent label that includes a whole bunch of other communities that are already out there and have developed on their own. For example, uh, humanistic Judaism, a form of Judaism that embraces a naturalistic worldview, but still uh, places great emphasis on traditional Jewish values like self-esteem and dignity and the Jewish identity. Uh, secular Buddhism, uh, naturalistic paganism, Christian naturalism, uh, spiritual ecology, and certain forms of humanism, and so on down the line. Scientific um, pantheism is another. Sure, another. pantheism as well, yep. And there's more that, there, there's a whole bunch, there's a whole bunch. And when you look at the sort of um, sum total of all of those, there's all these different life paths with all these different practices that really enrich and sort of give meaning to what we're talking about here when we talk about embodying our values and this sense of sacredness in something we actually do. A secular Buddhist might meditate every day. Uh, a Stoic might have uh, particular morning and evening reflections that they do in order to cultivate uh, the right attitude that, that, that they value within their community, and so on down the line. So yeah, definitely. Emphasis on practice makes us unique. And that sense of practice, too, um, understanding the role of practice for a naturalist is, is really crucial because if we don't have an understanding of the role of practice, we, it can very much end up as empty theater, is what I, I like to call it, um, where you just kind of feel like you're going through these motions and it sounds like you're just, oh, us too, us too, look at us, we, we do these things too, and it's not about that. It's about trying to cultivate, like you said, cultivate certain things in, your, in yourself through engineering uh, a chance to have a, 
ex certain experiences or put yourself in a certain state of mind, and that through those experiences we start to shift our habits, our mental habits, our judgments, our perspectives on the world. So, you know, to me that's why ritual is still crucial even to a naturalist. And I think that uh, psychology is beginning to explore that. Um, there's a branch of psychology known as positive psychology, which is showing, in fact, that the spiritual element is very important for our, our human well-being and for us as uh, a community, a society, to be able to get along, to be able to flourish, uh, requires that spiritual aspect. It doesn't have to be necessarily religious, but there is that spiritual aspect, whether it's the pantheistic, the uh, getting out in nature and feeling the connection with nature. There is some of that that actually is scientifically showing that we need for uh, human flourishing. Yeah, absolutely. But, Jay, I'm going to have to <laughs> go back and shift the attention back to Daniel for a second. You just kind of dropped a bomb on some of our listeners there when you mentioned ritual. What do you mean by ritual, and how can that cultivate this sense that we're talking about here? Sure. I think that, um, for example, there's nothing, uh, you know, magical about going and lighting a candle, or and there's nothing special about bowing, and there's nothing accomplished by sitting in a room with your legs crossed and your eyes closed. Those things, those outward activities don't necessarily do anything unless they're being done as part of a personal expression that is the outward reflection of a, a true inner state of mind. So you could go into a communal ritual, for example. Um, maybe everybody's singing something or uh, chanting or whatever it is, uh, drumming. And if you're just sitting there going, yeah, yeah, whatever, I guess I'll take some pictures, what is this whole thing, and you're not in the same state of mind as they are in the state of mind that the ritual is designed for, then the ritual will literally have no effect and be of no use. It'll be um, just theater. But rituals can also be something that uh, symbolize for us something deeply personal, a value or a uh, remembrance of a certain state of mind or an expression of empathy or compassion. And when you put yourself into that proper state of mind as you're saying the saying or chanting the chant or doing the drumming or bowing or lighting a candle or whatever it is, that physical activity can connect with the mental activity to help reinforce it and uh, make it more real to your mind. And in so doing, can help to generate an experience. Music is especially good for this kind of thing. But by having these experiences, by generating these uh, profound experiences that are possible, and that's not the only source of profound experience, of course, but it's one way to achieve it. If, if we are really conducting a ritual in that way, then I think it can be transformative. So let me see if I understand what you're talking about there, Daniel. So what I heard from that is that your approach to ritual is that it's not about gods, it's not about magic, it's not about any kind of esoteric symbols. It's not about psychic energy somehow raised and sent off in some healing manner or something. It's about creating an experience. And experiences are something that we all share. And it doesn't take anything more than naturalistic universe to, to make that make sense. Right? Sure. You're talking about creating certain, uh, cultivating certain um, 
states of mind, certain feelings, uh, maybe a feeling of connectedness with the other participants. If it's a, a ritual that involves uh, compassion, then maybe generating, you know, the, a little bit more the tendency to feel compassion during the ritual, and hopefully a little bit so take that into your life afterward. That's what that's, naturalistic ritual is about for you, it sounds like. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. And I think that uh, it's not really anything too unfamiliar to most of us. I mean, regardless of our beliefs about, uh, say, for example, uh, Christianity, I think uh, most people in the West, in the United States, uh, can understand the sense of specialness in singing Christmas carols, for example. And so there's an example right there. And we have our personal rituals, too. It's not all communal. We have our own personal rituals and things we do. People go and visit the gravesite of a loved one. Well, I don't think it's only uh, theists doing that or believers. I think uh, other people can get something out of those kinds of things. So uh, we're basically creatures of pattern recognition and symbolism and uh, that's why things like poetry can sometimes convey the most fundamental and important things about spirituality in a way that technical jargon can't. Yeah, I agree, absolutely. And I, I think, personally, I feel that some of those practices like ritual, meditation, and so on can be really supportive of something that's really no more exotic or um, magical than everyday ordinary happiness. And that kind of brings us back a little bit to what Jay was saying about how there's now a, a new field of, uh, of scientific uh, research called positive psychology that has been looking into this a lot. They've done a lot of studies on mindfulness, for example. They're also starting to do studies on compassion meditation and loving-kindness meditation and finding that, yes, some of these traditionally religious practices actually do produce uh, some of the effects that they claim, <laughs> which, uh, which can be beneficial for our life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the research is continuing, and what's interesting is just how much mindfulness is uh, pretty much part of almost every psychotherapy now that, that deals with the mood disorders, anxiety, fear, things of this nature. They're bringing in the, and, and of course, mindfulness-based uh, stress reduction as one of the first ones that actually began the research and yeah, shows that these, yeah, these things make a difference. And as far as ritual is concerned, I think the other thing it does is it help, uh, helps us to remember what's important to us. We go through life many times forgetting, not being mindful, not being aware of what's going on. And just a ritual every morning, you know, doing the same thing. You know, when you get up, you grab your gym clothes. It reminds you to go to the gym. So those things help us to remember what's important and to actually practice and experience and pursue those things that will make a difference in our life. Yeah, that's well said. I, I agree. I think, uh, too, there uh, even things like, for example, I, I wear, you know, these mala beads here. And uh, sometimes they have a functional use. Um, when I'm meditating and I don't have a timer or I'm in some place I don't want the timer to go off, I can, I can uh, associate the beads with a series of five breaths each. And by the time yeah. I work my way back around, then I know that I've finished without having to keep track of the time. So that's Daniel, the functional aspect. For our listeners, for our listeners what are mullah beads? What are mullah beads? 
these. <laughs> yeah, for our listeners, what are those? <laughs> oh, I, I believe it comes from the uh, Buddhist tradition, in this case Tibetan, and uh, it's not unlike the, uh, the way that uh, a rosary is used. And different people use them in different ways. I'm just talking about the way I use them. And so that's kind of the functional aspect of what they are. But they, they're used in meditation. And But when I'm not using them for that purpose, I wear them because having an object on my person is a way to remind myself of mindfulness. It's, it's every time I put it on, every time I look at it, it's just a reminder uh, to focus on the present, take a few breaths, you know, don't let life pass by. So there's actually some functional things I get out of meditation. So I kind of place that in a little bit different category for myself personally than uh, ritual. Ritual, of course, has a function too, but I think the function of meditation, at least the primary reason that I do it, is to actually have an effect on my ability to focus and to be patient and to remain in the present and to expand awareness, those sorts of things. As you go throughout your day. Yes. Um, it's what you do when, once you get up from the meditation. Uh, right. Is what meditation is really about. Yeah. But this is a huge world, and we're approaching it in a very short time, but hopefully it's enough where the listeners can, you know, maybe be stimulated or, or find some ideas that they'd like to explore further. Um, in the time we have left, I think it's good for us to, uh, BT, you mentioned before we started, that we should also talk about spiritual naturalism in our lives, um, what it means to us. So uh, do you want to start us off there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think also this would be a good opportunity just for those who are listening who have no idea what spiritual naturalism or didn't have until this podcast. Uh, we've been talking a lot about ritual, but there's a lot of spiritual naturalists that don't do ritual. There's a lot who do meditation, but there's a lot who don't, too. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we're talking about cuts beyond any specific practice and goes even to the most mundane and ordinary things. And also, as Daniel was just saying a moment ago, also, even the meditation, even the practices, the, the whole point is to influence your mundane, daily, normal life and interactions with other people, with your friends, your family, your coworkers, everybody. So for me, that's that's really kind of a proving ground for, for anything that I do, whether it's meditation or whatnot. And I tell you, one good example for me is marriage. <laughs> I, I married uh, coming up on the three-year anniversary. In fact, this weekend, my wife and I are going to uh, bed and breakfast. Um, it's a secret for her where we're going this time, but we do it every year. <laughs> um, and marriage, is, uh, I love being married, but I tell you what, it it's true what they say, that it ain't easy. <laughs> and um, when you're the kind of person who does meditations, like loving-kindness meditation or whatever, it's very easy to fool yourself into believing that you've broken through to some higher level of compassion or, um, you know, virtuous being. But when you're confronted with your behavior with another person, day in, day out, and you see yourself and catch yourself thinking, oh, I shouldn't have said that, uh, or uh, I really could have said that in a nicer way. It It's thrown in your face that you still got so much more work to do. And so 
it's those kind of little interactions with the people in my lives, especially my wife, that, that really actually hone me as a person who's interested in, in self-cultivation, becoming a better person. It gives me a sharper edge. Mm, that's great. That's really great. Um, what about you, Jay? Well, my own practice, first I was a Christian and then I studied Buddhism for about 15 years. Became a Buddhist in 2011. So Buddhism was a very much part of my interest in spiritual naturalism. Studying Buddhism, of course, there are some supernatural aspects to it. And becoming a secular Buddhist, I was looking for a broader category. Having both the humanist, non-theistic background, I was looking for something with a, a wider title, as BT was explaining. Something that was an umbrella term that looked at this earth as sacred. For me, the ecological damage that we're doing and the effect that we're having on the planet is going to be the extinction of the human race if we don't unite and do something about it. And to me, spiritual naturalism can bring the best aspirations of humankind together to hopefully save the planet and save ourselves from our own, you know, unmindfulness, I guess would be the way to say it. And so that's kind of how I got interested in it. Of course, I knew it more as religious naturalism. But, you know, Daniel Bennett and others have defined, and if you go in and look at Webster's, they define religious as belief in gods and gods. And since I didn't, I felt that spiritual was a much better term because I think one of the growing populations is those that are spiritual but not religious. And they're looking for, they're looking for home. They're looking for some kind of identity. And I think spiritual naturalism is that identity, where they can find the spirituality without the literal mythology. Actually, looking at myths as myths, and important as they are, as Joseph Campbell uh, pointed out in The Power of Myth, myths are important. They do inform us. But we have to distinguish between their symbolic truth and their literal truth. And we do that. To me, spiritual naturalism is the path that we can travel, we can treat the earth as sacred, and we can begin to actually develop a spiritual practice that can help us flourish and help the world flourish. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. I agree with both of you guys. I think that there are so many other traditions that can all contribute to spiritual naturalism and from which we can all learn, and we have so much to learn from each other. I'm really excited about what's been going on in the society. I have to remind myself, too, that my work in the society on the administrative ends of it is not the same as my self-work in my own practice because um, sometimes it's easy to feel like I've done one and I really haven't done the other. It's those little incidents throughout the day and day-to-day -day with others in our lives and in how we handle situations, like you were saying, BT, that that have really been the fruit of, of such a practice. And to me, finding your own practice is part of the practice. So it's not that, you know, any one of us are trying to say, well, you get up and you do your journal and then you go meditate and you do this and you do that and then that's the practice and this is it. But each of us can go on this exploration to look into all of these different traditions and look at what modern psychology says and what it's the latest experiments have said, and we could bring that all together and we can kind of build our own practice in a way that reminds us of what's important in life and keeps us on some kind of path towards self-improvement and greater happiness and 
And uh, hopefully this podcast and uh, everything in the Mission of Society will be of some usefulness to people as they do that. But for myself personally, I, I do meditate. I try to do it daily. Sometimes I've fallen in and out of that. I haven't been uh, great, and then other times I've gotten better at it, and uh, I like to think I'm improving. Meditation is one thing. Once in a while, I'll go into a period where I do some journaling. My wife and I recently went on a Zen retreat, which was very interesting. We'd never been on one before. And so, uh, and then, of course, you know, supplemented with reading. Not that reading can sup- can uh, substitute for a practice, but definitely, you know, it, it's kind of the fuel, you know, it's kind of what gives you ideas and what helps open you up to other other things. And so uh, that's been helpful too. And of course, my interactions with you guys and the others in the society. So that's kind of where my practice is. And, and I also have noticed things that really profound transformations, it's kind of hard to even describe. And you it doesn't really help others too much to describe too much because it becomes all about the speaker if you do that but that's kind of what it means to me and I'm I'm really looking forward to getting into more of it and more uh, topics that we have to cover here I think it'll be interesting not just for the reader but for myself uh, and for the listener so anyway I think we're just about at the end of our time did you guys want to say anything else before we as we wrap up yeah, I just wanted to say that I like how you summed it up at the end there. I mean, it, it really is about empowering you to be a more effective agent in the world. Um, whatever we do for practices, it's about empowering you to be a better person. And, and that's ultimately how I understand the spirituality part of, of spiritual naturalism. Spirituality has nothing to do with spirits in the old sense, the spirit supernatural sense. It's about personal growth. It's about connectedness, and it's about moral action. It's about just becoming a little bit better each day of your life. Yeah, I couldn't have said that better, BT. Um, It is about becoming the person that you want to be, the person you want to become happier, healthier, uh, flourishing, full of well-being, kind, compassionate, gentle, sharing with other people your life and your experience, your wisdom, and hopefully leaving this world a better place than you left it. Like you said earlier, Jay, even the biggest uh, issues, such as uh, environment, the environment and our planet, it all begins with inner transformation, being a different kind of people to make a different kind of world. And uh, that's why I think what we're practicing and what we're uh, hopefully promoting in society is, uh, is so important. Yes. It's kind of the root operating system of humanity is the way I look yes. at it. You, you change the world by changing yourself. Be the change you want to see. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I think that's about all the time we have for today. Um, thank you for listening, and uh, thank you guys for joining me here and for being a part of this. Thank you, Dan. Uh, yeah, really thank excited. you, Daniel. Okay. Uh, and please join us next time. Thank you very much. This program was sponsored by the Spiritual Naturalist Society. Learn more and join our community at spiritualnaturalistsociety.org. Our music was composed by John Clemisrud. J.N. Forrest is our technical director, and Daniel Strain is program director. Our hosts are Daniel, J. and B.T. Newberg. Please share our program with others and join us next time on Spiritual Naturalism Today. Spiritual Naturalism Today.